The Athletic. A football podcast with no football, you say? Yes, it's been an interesting week nonetheless, as it often is with Manchester United. So no Brentford match to review. And we won't necessarily be looking too much ahead to Brighton as well for fear that that one is also postponed. But do stick with us. We do have a great interview coming up with Brandon Williams. We'll hear from Edwin van der Sar. And there's a great story from Andy about postponed games too. And lots more besides. But there is one thing you can rely on. Talk of the Devils is on. Yes, this is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and here with us today is the United We Stand editor, Andy Mitten. It's just me and thee today, Andy. We don't miss Laurie though, do we? We've said this before. Well, I reckon we do, but we're not going to admit that. Yeah, don't don't tell anyone. Uh, in fairness to Laurie though, while he's not here in person, he has left us with a great interview to listen to, which we'll have coming up later on in the show. But before that... We're going to go through exactly what happened in the run-up to that ill-fated trip to West London. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. Right, we thought it was going to be third time lucky with the podcast. Or was it fourth time lucky in the end? I can't even remember how many bits we recorded on Monday. It was a bit of a crazy day, that, wasn't it? But one thing was for certain, Manchester United didn't take on Brentford in the end. There's plenty to get our heads around. And of course, it's still going on at the minute. Go to The Athletic. For the very latest on this, we're recording on Thursday morning, um, so this is the most up-to-date picture that we've got at the minute, but of course, as you've seen across this week, a very fast-changing situation uh, with COVID affecting Premier League matches right across the country at the minute. Andy, why was the game postponed? Let's just get some facts. Manchester United requested a dialogue with the Premier League because of several cases of COVID among the players and the first team staff. Uh, that request was made the day before the game. United uh, made that public at 3pm on the Monday and the game was postponed. Uh, the announcement was made at 10 to midnight on Monday night. So the lateness of that annoyed a lot of people, not least people who'd, some people had actually already set off for, for Brentford. And I wrote a piece about that for The Athletic. So it's not an ideal situation for anybody. Uh, United have they closed the training ground, or at least the part of it used by the first team, for 24 hours. It reopened. United have continued to test um, players and staff throughout this week uh, with uh, some uh, more positive cases. And United are not revealing the names or exact numbers, which is which is fair enough. And I'm saying and all the time because we're recording this uh, amid the uncertainty ahead of the game against Brighton. We don't know whether it's going to go ahead or not. As we speak, there's not been any definite decision on that. So not ideal, not ideal for the players, for the club, for fans. I've had fans contacting me saying, what do you know? What's the chatter? I'm like, don't really want to rely on chatter if you're relying on what I tell you before boarding a ferry from Ireland. I'd rather stick with hard facts. Yeah. So in terms of the Brighton game this weekend, obviously the the Premier League, I'm sure, would try to avoid situations like the late announcement ahead of the Brentford game for Manchester United and the even later announcement 
ahead of the Burnley Watford game, uh, which was supposed to take place on Wednesday. But but like we said before, that this is fast moving; it changes all the time. It can it can swing on uh, on a bout of testing, which are being done daily. We understand at the minute uh, at all clubs across the country. So when do you think we'll know about the, this Brighton match then, Andy? About whether it's going ahead or not? There will be continued dialogue between Manchester United and the Premier League about this. Ultimately, it's the decision of the Premier League board. Uh, there would be input from broadcasters as well. So if the game against Brighton doesn't go ahead, there isn't another game in that slot for a broadcaster. Sometimes when games have been moved, there's been a secondary game. Uh, Brighton are obviously party to this as well. The focus from from our perspective is what's gone on at Manchester United because it was United who demanded the talks uh, ahead of the Brentford game, but we don't know what the situation is at Brighton either. You said fast moving, that's quite right. We saw on uh, Wednesday night that the game between uh, Burnley and Watford was postponed at relatively short notice. Massive inconvenience to, to the travelling supporters who'd, who'd made the journey, the players as well. So that is the environment that we're in at the moment. And there's uncertainty. There's uncertainty for fans, um, for players, for journalists. I, I print a magazine. I've got to give a go-ahead to the printers to say, print this magazine which comes out on the, the 30th of December against Burnley at Old Trafford. What if, what if the game's uh, postponed again? We're suddenly left with a load of magazines. So there's, there's people all over the shop. I'm sure that people at Brentford... Had ordered food in. Maybe the only people who benefit from this are local charities who end up receiving pies and sandwiches, which would have been sold at the original football matches. Yeah, some encouraging stories about that actually from Brentford and indeed Burnley last night as well. Good to see that they are going to some use and, and helping people, uh, especially at this time of year as well. But it's obviously gratefully received by people at any time of year, considering the way people are struggling uh, during this pandemic as well. In terms of Brighton, um, we heard last night, and Andy Naylor's written a piece on The Athletic as well, that Graham Potter said post the defeat to Wolves that they asked for that match to be postponed as well because of the problems that they had. Uh, a couple more players, we believe, missing that game as well uh, because they had been found to be positive uh, for the coronavirus too. So, yeah, there's a lot of doubt about this match. Like I say, keep your eye on The Athletic. The very latest information about this will be on there. Lots of writers involved because it's such a huge story in football now it's having such a huge effect on the Premier League as well um, so the story's on there by Adam Crafton uh, to explain the situation as up to date as it was when when, when that was released and, and there'll be more Andy as well. If it starts to affect the integrity of the competition if then there's going to be major doubts here all, all it basically means is if Manchester City or Liverpool win the league this year it won't count that's just the bottom line on this <laughs> And if Manchester United do it, it'll just be like the greatest sporting <laughs> achievement since. And obviously it will count. Let's move on to something else. We've started with quite serious issues so far, haven't we? We have, haven't we, yeah. Andy said as well before we started recording, let's cheer people up. I think we're 10 minutes in now, mate. They're probably more miserable than when we started. <laughs> yeah, talking about postponed um, matches. I, I did meet one of my best mates because of a, a postponed game, though. Yeah, tell this story, come on. Um, Leeds 92, right? So... We're about to go to Leeds away. There's 7,000 of us. The Red Army's ready to move. Three games at Ellen Road in the space of uh, a couple of weeks. Played them in the league. Drew them in the League Cup. Drew them in the FA Cup. And we were in charge. We had four coaches at Charlton Street, packed with fans who'd yet to pay us. 
and the game got called off. Oh no. Now, quite naturally, the coach company still wanted paying. So we had a nightmare situation. Fans weren't prepared to pay because they weren't going anywhere. The coach driver's like, well, we can still take you to Leeds. Well, what's the point? The game's just been called <laughs> off. So people just disappeared. And I then spent the afternoon ringing up people who'd booked on the coach to say, um, are you coming to the replay? Which is going to be in 10 days' time. And most of the numbers were 0161, 0161. And I got into some amazing conversations where... People would be like, yeah, that's our Paul. He's not back from the pub yet. And um, he's not missed the game since, you know, 19, whatever. And I rang this lady in with a, a, a very, um, what I thought was posh Southern accent. And she said, he'll be absolutely devastated, my son. He set off for Manchester to get on your coach uh, yesterday morning. I went, what? Where are you? So, well, we're in Sussex and he goes to every single game. And, well, I dropped him at the train station yesterday and he caught a bus to Birmingham and um, he got another bus to Manchester and he slept overnight in the train station and that's when he boarded your coach. And we're expecting him back tomorrow. I'm like, what? Wow. So this lad, right, I might embarrass him a bit here, but he looked like, um, how would I take that? He wasn't, a, he, he wasn't an archetypal <laughs> anorak. Right, so when it he booked back on the the coach to go to Leeds again. Hang on a minute. Is Howard from Take That a good thing or a bad thing? He's a good looking boy, right? Okay, right? And right, he stood yeah. out, you yeah, know. Okay. And we we became really good mates with this lad, and like all my sisters' mates fancied him. One of them. Oh, my mum go, when's that good looking lad coming up from down south again? And he went to every single Manchester United game, and he ended up moving to Manchester because of this. And travelling around the world, and we became really, really good friends. And he's a really well-known figure at, at, at Manchester United among the fan base. And we'd met first of all on that rearranged bus going over to Leeds. And I said to him, "I rang your mum." He went, "Yeah, he was really gutted. He was embarrassed because she'd like said, oh, my. he goes everywhere.' And he was quite low key. He kept everything down, and he still does. And yeah, one of my best mates." that relationship came out of a postponed game to Leeds. And when you speak to these fans who've gone to years and years, and I did it for the Athletic this week for that article, one of them had just landed in Heathrow. He'd flown over from San Francisco for the Brentford match. It was his first ever Manchester United game. One of them, Eric from Rotterdam, really well known at the match. He was in London. He'd come a day earlier to do all of his tests. And Eric's been going for so long that it's like the seventh postponed game he's travelled over from and he lives in Holland and he's followed United since the 70s and you just see all the different angles what uh, of, of Manchester United's vast support and I spoke to people from Manchester as well who'd booked for coaches and organised coaches and they had all the problems they had to pay for, for those coaches so it doesn't help anyone it's not anybody's fault that these games are, are getting postponed but I dare say there are some people when the games get postponed, they, they go and have a few drinks and establish friendships that yeah, make life throughout friends. the years. Why not? Right. Just to round it off then, I'll repeat. Keep your eye on The Athletic for the very latest on Manchester United's game against Brighton this weekend. We understand that talks will be taking place over the course of the next few days to determine exactly what will happen to that match. And of course, any news will be on there as soon as we know it. 
Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, one United player who has made it onto the pitch in the last couple of days, albeit for Norwich City, is of course Brandon Williams. And he was a having an up-and-down time under Daniel Farker, who was the manager who brought him to Carroll Road back in the summer. But Farker's dismissal and the arrival of Dean Smith has seen Williams starting games regularly and he's been doing well as well. Laurie Whitwell has had a good long chat with him this week and asked him what the thinking was behind this particular loan spell. The plan was for me to go out but to do the pre-season at United to, to stay there because um, obviously people are coming back for New York roles and stuff, so the squad wasn't big, so... I did my pre-season there, but the plan was at the end of pre-season that I could go out and it was a few clubs and frankly I've chosen Norwich, so because up to now it's been a good choice. You weren't in the team the whole time from the start, but you obviously come through and, and you know, played really well the last few games. What was that like to deal with and what did you need to do to get in the team, do you think? Well, I think I've had that through my whole career, to be honest. I've, I've been in and out of teams, I've not really gone on and played a full season. by not, not having no doubt, but it's good because it keeps me on my toes that and also um, behind me that wants to play as well and that is capable of playing, so mm. I think it's good for me. Was Daniel Farr giving you messages about what you needed to do to sort of get into the team or, or did you know what you needed to do in training perhaps? To yeah, I knew myself what I had to do to, to get in the team. It's on the training pitches where the manager picks his team and that's where you've got to impress and it's the same with the new manager now. Yeah. And what have you done in these matches um, sort of since you've come in? I mean, the, the Brentford one seemed to be the turning point for me where it was started and... I mean, that went on a run, created that chance. Would you consider that as a bit of a turn? I just think it's the time to settle in because it's hard to come come away. It's my first ever loan. Yeah. I've never been at another club before, so I'm finally at a point now where I'm comfortable and I know everyone here now and I know all the names and I've made really good friends and I just want to keep that going. Can I ask about the pre-season when you got sent off uh, <laughs> against Appington Stanley? Oh, Does that ring <laughs> a bit of an altercation? What happened there? No, it was just, I can't remember his name. He just so pulled, sure. he pulled my shirt, so I just said, yeah. get yeah. off yeah. me. <laughs> and then he just like tried grabbing me and he tried headbutting me. So I went back and then we just had a little shove. Yeah. And then we're walking into the changing room. He's like, I'll see you in there, I'll see you. And I said, yeah, sweet, let's go. <laughs> um, my friends was there and then all the, um, Nicky Boat was telling my friends and stuff to tell him to chill out. I was like, what's his name? Where's he from? What's his name? <laughs> I was so angry and then I just got in the changing room and I just sat there. So Nicky Butts telling him to calm down. You know it's you know it's serious when he's telling him to calm down. Yeah. But the guy the, the, the guy was old, so I think Yeah, he was, like 30, he was a captain. Yeah. yeah, he was the captain, 30 hours like, so, um but he was just like so yeah, sure. we understand. Yeah. Um but I mean obviously, yeah, I mean I, I was thinking Wayne Rooney's probably the only other person I've seen get sent off in a pre-season. So it's not a bad company to keep. Yeah, I know that's a good name, isn't it? <laughs> um but I mean, is that something that you is it in your game? Because I think there was the, the Arsenal game where you put a block in and like stood up and like celebrated afterwards yeah. and I, I think that kind of energy is, is sort of seeps you know, can yeah that's what I play off the fans I, I need that energy to play like 
I'm not saying it's the biggest thing, but like last season when when there was no fans and yeah. I was playing, I didn't really have the energy for me for me to play how I usually yeah. play. I need, I need that. Like some players might get scared by it and all the fans and the pressure, but I need I, I need that I need that in me. So I'm glad that all the all the fans are back. So hopefully they can stay. With the new manager, he seems to be playing youth. Have you had any contact from United or from probably not from him, I guess, but. Yeah. Oh, how many have you there? No, I just speak to a few of my friends that I still have there. Just catch up all the time when I go back to Manchester. But I'm here to, to do a job here, so I'm yeah. focused more on here. But I've got nothing to give at United this season because I can't because I'm not there. So everything I've got to give is here. So it's too early to think about next summer, for example. You know, it's not. Yeah, far no, I, never, I never think forward. I always think in a moment. So I think I just need to do my job here and that's to, to help me stay in the Premier League. Andy, I like Brandon Williams. Oh, good for you. Doesn't he speak well? Smile as you say it. He speaks well. He's got a really strong Manchester accent. He speak, his accent's very similar to Anthony Crawler, the boxer, who's a big um, Manchester United fan. Well, he, he's from Moston, isn't he? And, uh, yeah, Williams they're from the from same part of Manchester. Hay, so, yeah. yeah, they're very, very close. Yeah. yeah, very, very Mancunian. And I thought he came across well. I thought he had a good humour. I thought Laurie asked the right questions. I'm pleased that he's doing well. At, at, at Norwich he's had an up and down career so far but he's still only 21 I was a little bit worried for him after a few months at Norwich when he was kept on the bench after he lost every single match but he came back in and he was part of the turnaround and he's now playing Premier League football every week uh, as, as a left back so I hope he continues to improve as a player he spoke well he talked about the mental toughness which I think is is important and he sounds very focused and I love the story about him getting sent off at Accrington and basically being game for looking <laughs> after himself because he's not a soft lad if you're from that part of Manchester yeah you know how to look after yourself but with Nicky Butt asking him to calm down well Nicky's also from that part of Manchester he's from Gorton yeah yeah not, not a million miles yeah. away Nicky's not a soft lad either so it made me laugh that Nicky's you know, matured a little bit, just saying, just wind it in a bit, just calm it down a bit. So I think if he can channel um, his, his positive attributes, then he's going to have a very good future. Will that be at Manchester United? I, I don't know yet. It's, it's not a decision we'll be making. No, and if he sort of picks up like he has done the last couple of weeks under Dean Smith and continues those performances, it could well catch the attention of Ralph Rangnick or, or, or whoever is in charge of Manchester United, of course, next season. Because that game he had at Tottenham, even though um, Norwich lost that match, he, he was man of the match. He was absolutely brilliant in that game. So I interviewed Brandon um, early 2020, around the time he was pushing players. Was it Callum Hudson-Odoi? He pushed into a barrier and all this sort of stuff. I don't think I asked him about that. I think the club probably said um, <laughs> we don't want to play up to uh, to that sort of stereotype too much. But similar to what Laurie got there, he got a very, very passionate Manchester lad about playing for Manchester United. Um, he sort of told me his story about how he'd found his way to United as well. And it was a mate of his who just asked him if he could fill in one week playing uh, for Berry Amateurs. And Brandon wasn't really into football at this point. I think he was only sort of seven or eight years old. Anyway, he went down, came off the bench for them because they were shorter players, ended up scoring a hat-trick. He was a hero and just got hooked on it. And then he ended up going playing in a tournament not long after at Blackpool where he was spotted by United and signed to the club. And, and like he was saying as well, he wasn't the star necessarily of the teams he was in. One of the coaches, I forget who it was at the time, sort of described him a bit like Gary Neville in terms of 
a very committed lad making the absolute most that he can out of his footballing ability uh, with work rate and effort and heart and, and spirit and, and all the things he was sort of talking about there. Just a likeable lad. I think it's great. I think it's great to hear all of that. All of that is fantastic. And Danny Taylor did a nice piece for The Athletic last year where he went to his mum's market stall in, in Harper Hay. Yeah. And spoke about how, how down to earth every, everybody was. I'd love to see him play for Manchester United regularly and he's still got time to to improve and he had some very good games for Manchester United and he he had other games where he looked short of the quality. Ralph Rangnick will be watching, he'll be getting accurate reports on someone who he can have back Uh, but we don't know if Ralph's going to be here next year so there's so many uncertainties. We don't even know whether games are going to be played this week let alone what's happening next year. That's true. But Brandon talked about his focus um, being in Norwich, the distance it gives him from Manchester is not a bad thing either. Just focuses entirely on football. All good. And I was worried about him going to Norwich because someone told me he could have gone to Bournemouth and maybe that would have been better. I thought at the time, playing at a team at the top end of the championship. But if you're doing well and you're getting man of the match against Tottenham, like you said, in the Premier League, you're showing that you're one of the best players at a club, even in a struggling club. Yeah. And, and even having to defend all the time is not a bad thing because you're showing your qualities as a defender. So it's looking like that this low move is working out for him because he's playing all the time as well. Do you want to feel old, Andy? Go on. His first Manchester United memory, he told me in that interview, was the 2008 Champions League final. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, you've had the desired effect to feel old. All right, that was just a little bite-sized chunk then of the chat with Brandon Williams. So do check out Laurie's write-up on The Athletic at the minute, which covers, of course, the whole conversation, including bits that we referred to there with his family and background in Manchester as well. Just before we go then, I know this has been quite a concise talk of the devils, but if that means that you have more space in your listening schedule this week, you could do a lot worse than check out the Athletics Business of Sport podcast. This week's guest was none other than Edwin van der Sar, and very impressive he was too. Here's his response to Mark Chapman's suggestion that Manchester United might be interested in acquiring his services again sometime soon. Every job you do, you want to do it as, as good as possible. And I think uh, we, have had, we have had success on the pitch as, uh, as, as a player, winning trophies, getting respect. And uh, for us, it's, it's important to, 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 do the, to do the same trick as a, as a director. And in, in the position that, we are, that we're doing now and that you're linked or talked about, uh, it's something that we, that we enjoy. Of course, that means we're doing something right. But the, the, the feeling is that we're, that we're not ready yet here in, uh, in Amsterdam. I think there's still room to improvement and the way Eric, uh, we, had, we had a contract meeting with him last year and he saw really improvement in, in the team. He saw still possibility to, to perform at a higher level and that's, that's the way he is doing that, the way the players are developing. It's, it's fantastic and uh, that your name once in a while pops up 
yeah, of course, I got a connection with you with United, and uh, but I'm extremely happy here in Amsterdam. I have to say, I, I often think that's really undervalued with it within sport in general, Edwin. That if you are being challenged by your job and feel that you are improving and you are happy, why on earth would would you want to go anywhere else? I mean, sport seems to throw all of those rules out the window. In any other business, you go, hang on a minute, this is absolutely perfect for me. What? Why on earth would I want to go somewhere else when I am benefiting so much from the role that I am doing? True, uh, there's, but uh, there's, there's always a next step or uh, you, you've, uh, you want to have a new experience. You want to, let's see if you can do the trick another time. So uh, probably in the end, as, as a player, you always, at a certain point, you feel a certain urge. You want to take a next step. You want you need a new challenge. Uh, you're, on a, you're on a dead track, whatever. For example, at Ajax, I wanted to do a new challenge. At Juventus, I was a dead track. Ended up at, at Fulham. Stayed a li- maybe a little bit, one or two years too, too long. But at the end, I got the deal or the, the transfer that, that, that could, make, could finish my career at a, at a high. And then playing six years. So probably at the end, I will, at a certain point, you want to go for next challenge. But uh, at the moment, we're uh, extremely fine here in Amsterdam. Andy, he didn't say no, did he? I think if we're going football cliches, that is a come and get me plea. Just not yet. <laughs> He really was quite strong about that, I, I thought. And yeah. it was a good point that Mark Chapman made about him, if you're happy. And we don't know what his personal circumstances are living. You know, he has a family. He's got a great job in, in Amsterdam, a club that he obviously loves. But Ajax are probably not going to be winning the Champions League season after season. They're in a brilliant place at the moment. And that run started with them beating Real Madrid in March 19. I was at that game. It's one of the best games I've seen in recent years. They absolutely battered uh, the, the the best team in the world with players like Donny van der Beek and Matthias De Ligt. And I remember speaking to the Ajax journalists before that game and they said, uh, Ten Hag is probably going to lose his job if he goes out here. So that just shows how football can change. But van der Sar is a name who United fans often mention to be the top executive at Old Trafford. He's very, very well respected. Uh, if he's doing well at Ajax, which he is, then that would absolutely put him in the frame. But he would probably want absolute power. And at Manchester United, the power structure is one where Joel Glazer calls the shots. And at Ajax, Edwin van der Sar probably calls the shots ultimately. So that's one for the future. But his stock is really high at the moment. His team are playing really well. I think a lot of people have a, a an affection for... Ajax and I think if you ask Edwin okay you live in Ajax now which club would you like to go to in the world I'm pretty sure Manchester United will be right near the top of that yeah it sounded like that didn't it in that little snippet of the interview certainly that's the Athletics Business of Sport podcast this week uh, with Edwin van der Sar who of course is working uh, as an exec over at Ajax at the minute but has been linked constantly almost with Manchester United that chat as well there's interesting references in there to Gary Neville Roy Keane he sort of asked did you speak to Sir Alex Ferguson for tips? And he said, a little bit, but actually David Gill was the one that he picked the brains of more. So perhaps that shows exactly the direction that Edwin wants to go in uh, with it, with his role now in retirement uh, from, from playing football, very much the executive level. Um, interesting character, Edwin van der Sar as well, Andy, wasn't he? You, you must have a story about him down the years because he was one of the more unusual characters in the dressing room around that time, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And I think if you look at the goalkeepers who Manchester United have had, they've always attracted slightly different characters. So Gary Bailey was university-educated, middle-class South African who turned up on the team coach, reading a broadsheet newspaper and got absolutely slaughtered for it. And 
Edwin is also a very well-educated man. I know his football career uh, took precedent. Peter Schmeichel, I think he drove all of the players absolutely mad. His autobiography is a bestseller at the moment. It's really good. His second autobiography, his first one wasn't so good. That was done 20 years ago. So there's always there is a cliche that goalkeepers are, are characters. We're not really seeing it with David De Gea. He's very private. He keeps himself uh, to himself. And maybe that's the way for a modern pro. I'm writing about him for the Athletics, so that'll be up in a, in a, in a couple of days. I've been speaking to people about De Gea and getting some good stuff on on him. Um, with Edwin, I mean, he, he won the lot, didn't he? I know how he was signed, and that was because uh, Tony Coton, who was very close to Ferguson, he suggested um, about Edwin, and it was it was a chance conversation, and they often are, which lead to these things, most famously with Eric Cantona signing, or with Raymond van der Howe. That was Fergie talking to one of his mates in Holland. He went, yeah, this, this, this goalkeeper's good at this place. And the next thing he's signing for Manchester United. Uh, I spoke to someone about Sergio Romero the other day. Uh, they'd they'd uh, watched him, United had watched him when he played in Holland. They didn't fancy him at first because he had long hair. So it just shows <laughs> what Manchester United are looking for. But with, with Edwin, I mean, he was one of the, the, the best goalkeepers in the world. And he did it at, at multiple clubs. He I think it was a surprise that he went to, to Fulham, having played at Juventus and played at Ajax, but then came to Manchester United at a mature age and absolute top man. It was also a surprise when he when David De Gea replaced him in those first six months because those defenders had felt so sure having Edwin behind him for so long and suddenly you've got an underweight child behind you who really struggled. Well, I'm glad to say that that underweight child became one of the best goalkeepers in the world as well, in De Gea. But he had a really tough six months and the players have gone to Fergie and go, you know, what's what's going on here? And Fergie's like, I'm going to play him and I'm going to keep playing him because he's a brilliant goalkeeper and I'm going to prove you all wrong. And he did do. Yeah, I remember, I think the only hairdryer or even close to it that I got from Fergie was asking him about David De Gea and his development. I don't even think it was any more strong than that, the question, but he was very, very defensive about it. Right, okay, that's it then for Talk of the Devils. We will be back on Monday, which I need to explain, that will be our last standard podcast episode of 2021. We do have something special lined up, though, for later on in the week, but we'll tell you more about that closer to the time. Thanks to Andy for being here with us, and thanks to Laurie, of course, for being very conscientious, knowing that he wouldn't be, and sending those bits through. But from everyone at Talk of the Devils, have a great weekend. Let's hope there's some football to watch if it's safe to do so, of course. But most of all, let's hope everyone, players, fans, podcast listeners, stays well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.